0: Uh, this morning, I'm not preaching. Um, brought in a good friend of mine to to fill the pulpit. Uh, so I want to introduce you guys to him really quick. Uh, Bob Bonner over here. Bob, throw your hand up. Uh, Bob Bonner is a friend of mine. One, just There's so many things I could say. <laughs> this Bob and his lovely wife, Becky. Um, so many things I could say about Bob. I don't even need to say anything. You guys already know who he is. Um, Bob is, um, he, he's done it. He, he's done what I'm, I'm hoping to do, which is 35 years of faithful pastoral ministry. Um, Bob and Becky love everybody that they know, and they just pour themselves out to everybody they know. And I, and I, I said this about Bob, not, not just because I'm introducing him, I've said this before. Um, you know, sometimes when people do ministry for 35 years, they get kind of jaded, and, and they kind of feel like, well, I've been there, done that, seen that. One thing I love about Bob and Becky is they're as excited about Jesus as they've ever been, it's more excited about Jesus than anybody I know. They're always evangelizing. They're always sharing the gospel. They're always pouring. You'd think it was like your first year of ministry when I talk to you. It's, it's like, you, it's like you, you're you just not burned at all, man. You got energy for days. Um, and so I look up to that. I respect that. And Bob reached out to me right away when I moved to the community. He saw me as a young pastor, and we've become friends, and, and he uh, continually lets me just talk about ministry, and I learned a lot from him. So I wanted to share him with you guys and, uh, and bring him in to be a voice. Um, so he's going to look at the passage with us this morning. Let me just pray for you, brother. Is that okay? God, thank you so much for Bob and for Becky and, and just thank you for the life that they bring to this community. So many people in this room have been affected by these guys, have sat under Bob's preaching, have sat in their living room, um, have been ministered to by them, God. And, and uh, I'm just so thankful for these guys. And Lord, as Bob just comes to to bring the word this morning, I pray you would fill him with your spirit Lord, that you would speak to us and that, God, we would be listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Give it up amen. for Bob. Thanks.
1: This is so much fun for me. I, um, In some ways, because I do know some of you, and some of you, um, uh, you don't have a clue who I am, but I knew you uh, when you were about tall. Um, uh, we've been here two or three times just to be encouraging to Sam as he's kicking this off. And sometimes there are certain people that the Lord brings across our path and we feel like, you know, um, this is a better fit for them than for others. And so we have, we've brought different people to come here to be loved on by you, discipled by you. And, and I have just the greatest confidence in what the Lord is doing in and through your leadership here and uh, i just have this sense that this is going to look totally different in a very positive way in about five years Um, as the leadership grows and matures and is discipled and uh, come around a common vision realizing that it's really not about philippi it's about jesus christ and and making an eternal impact on this community and you get behind that man i mean it's it's really great and uh, it's kind of funny, I didn't know I'd grow up to be what I am. You know, when I was, when I was younger, um, I thought it would be really cool to be a doctor. And then uh, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do physics well. I flunked chemistry twice, and not a good sign that I shouldn't probably go into medicine. And I really didn't like school, so I'm not sure if it was because I was dumb or just wasn't interested. Flash forward till I'm 40, and I have um, a couple surgeon friends who said, you know, you would be great In medical missions why don't you go back to school and get a degree and kind of join us in some of these things and I thought hey that looks really pretty good And I started checking into it okay I got three kids I'm married how am I gonna pay for this was you know and I'm gonna I really don't think that's what God is calling me to do but in the process of looking at that whole career I came to have a great deal of respect for those who invest their lives in medicine. And not only does it take a lot more brains than I possess, but it takes a lot of work and a huge financial investment. And and one medical student realized, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but most especially specialty doctors, when they finish their career, it's not uncommon for them to have $500,000 worth of school debt. And the government is not going to pay that off for them. Just you know I don't care what some policies are ain't gonna happen and so they they realize that and they try to get a jump on it and this one medical student did so he decided he was going to take two jobs uh, be the first year before he went to medical school, medical school and he was a butcher all during the daytime worked eight hours a day took off his butcher schmuck that white thing that had blood all over it and then He'd uh, grab a bite to eat, bicycle a couple miles away, go over to the hospital, put another weishmach, and he was in orderly, where he would take people from pre-op, you know, in the uh, gurney, and they got brought, and then they'd take him into the operating room, and then he'd, after the surgery was over, he'd take them back. He kind of wanted to learn about uh, the medical business, if you will, from the ground up. I've always said, if you really want to understand ministry and how to church, functions, you ought to become a janitor, wash toilets and clean floors, and then you'll, you'll really understand what's involved, and you'll appreciate the people around you. So one evening, he's um, doing his thing, and he's pushing this cart down, and this lady's in there, and she's half-drugged, and all of a sudden, she just lets out this unearthly scream and she yells somebody help me it's my butcher (laughs) so today we're gonna be talking about mistaken identities and what in the world can happen and uh, if for more than anything else we don't have a clue who we are uh... we just received a phone call from some dear friends of ours who are really being impacted by the political pandemonium that's going on around us. And they are solid people. They've walked with Jesus Christ for a long time, and they're, they're just a great couple. But um, being homebound and, and stuck in front of a TV, I mean, they're on the roof, so to speak. And, you know, can you help us get off the roof? Um, When you have a situation where you've got a pandemic and a political uh, pandemonium, and economic pandemonium, you're going to end up possibly in one of two places. You're going to end up feeling panicked, hopeless, down, or you're going to find yourself calm and at peace, although you may be disappointed. It isn't as though you are hopeless. Your world is not despairing. But in the last year, here's just one little segment of our population in Josephine County. From the age 13 to 30 in 2020, weird things pastors do and you look at reports and whatever, we have had more deaths by suicide in that age group than we have from COVID-related diseases. And that only includes the reported suicides. What do I mean by that? There's numerous people who've been found dead because they have overdosed on opiates, not by accident, but on purpose. There are others who've driven their cars into columns in the freeway because they just wanted out. Some of them have left notes. Um, It is absolutely amazing what this past year has done. It has brought people to their, their knees and they are desperate. I want to say to you this morning, if you really don't fully understand who you are, why you are here, and what purpose you have to take the very next breath, you could become your own casualty. And that's what we're going to be looking at here in Genesis chapter 2. Before we get into it, I want to give you three heads-ups. Number one, we're looking at verses 4 through 17, and there is no way in the world, in a message to really sufficiently cover this text. There are, you got to understand, this is the beginning of the second chapter of the entire scripture in which God is establishing the foundations of all of life. These words are extremely important. They are pregnant with meaning, and the basis of life is laid out in these first two chapters. Of which, obviously, it changes a little bit in chapter three when the fall comes, and so I can't cover all those things. But what I do plan to do is go in depth, and we're going to be looking at about six or seven words. We're, we're going to kind of open up the passage and where it goes. But I know, I know that if if you look at this passage, you're, you're thinking and hoping. I hope he hits this subject, or I want to know the answer. Come talk to me afterwards. If we don't hit them all. I mean, I just we're just not there. But I am passionate about making sure in light of what we've been going through that you walk out of here and go got it got it I understand third thing I want you to understand is I'm gonna begin with a premise and then I'm going to teach the test and show you why this premise is correct okay so I'm gonna it's rather long we're gonna read part of it I'm gonna break it down then we'll finish it and you've got outlines in case you're like me your memory is um, you can write some of these things down and, and take it with you if you want. But here's the premise. To find emotional stability, you must know who you are. Who you are must be defined by something greater than what you do, or what you have, or what you have accomplished. I just pause there. Let me fill that in a little bit. Um, one picture that I followed in baseball um, uh, had a great, great ability to pitch because of one game and one pitch his team lost the chance to go to the World Series. Not long afterwards, he blew his brains out because he couldn't do it again. Then you got Dave Dravecki, great pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, gets cancer and loses his arm. He's excited about life. What's the difference? Dave understood that he could pitch, and for a season, God had called him to pitch, but being a pitcher wasn't who he was. He was something far greater than that. Okay? Uh, I've had to wrestle with this in the last three years. The only thing I've ever done for 50 years is preach. And then God, in a unique way, said, I have another chapter for you. I don't want to go into that chapter. I'm Lord, but why did you give me this gift? That's up to me. And so for three years, I've been trying to get my fit footing, stability, trying to remember who's in charge. He'll let me use the gifts again what he where he wants me to use it. It won't be in the same way. I have to totally reschedule my life and the function, the way I do it, and you know what? He's really good. And so I'm, I'm in the rhythm. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to understand this. But at first, it was really, really hard. It's not about what I do or what spiritual gifts God has given to me. The second thing, it's not about what you have. Um, we've got folks who have lost their businesses in this town, especially in the food industry, who just started up a business or wanted to, but COVID, the shutdown, they've gone bankrupt. And what they thought was a great, and some of them were in business for a long time and very successful and had a huge savings account and had enjoyed a certain lifestyle, they've had to sell everything. They've gone bankrupt. And they're at the edge of despair. Time out. It's not what you have. I've learned to live with a little. I've learned to live with a lot. I'm in content in all things. It's not about what you have. And finally, it's not about your accomplishments. It really isn't. I think of uh, the World Series, and I think of Tommy Lasorda, and I who recently passed, and I think about all of their accomplishments, and and uh, but you know, somewhere in there, there's dust all over these trophies, and there's awards, and there's no more awards coming, and now you're sitting off in a rest home someplace, and you're wondering, well, I've got a dear friend who's who's been an elder in the church, he's older, and there's several activities because of physical limitations, he can't do them anymore. And he wonders, why Why am I alive? Well, why is he asking that question? It's because he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't understand the specific purposes God has for him and why he has him here. Because if God isn't, is done with me, I'm out of here. And until that time, Lord, help me understand today what my mission is. May not what I've been doing for 50 years, but my life is to partner with you, okay? Last sentence. Regardless of your circumstances, who you are and ultimately why you're here never changes. If this country gets taken over by China, big Deal Loss, yes, but it does not change why God has set Jesus Christ to save only you and what he wants you to do with the remaining breaths that you've got. And the greatest meaning and excitement that you will have in your life will be to join him in his work to change the face of eternity. I could leave the stage, but I want to show you where this is found in the Word of God, all right? That's the premise. So let's begin by first looking at some key, couple key words that has to do with the name of God found in verses four through seven of chapter two. Follow along in your version. I'm reading from the ESV, and, um, and so here's what it says. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made heaven it made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted and the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Right there in those few verses, we find for the very first time in Scripture two names of God put together, and they are special. These two names together are used in the next 19 verses 11 times. You ever been in a conversation with somebody, and, and it kind of starts out uh, like, you know, Hi Ryan, and two seconds later, Yeah, you know, you're doing this and you're... But I don't ever call him Ryan again. But if in those first five or six minutes I kept saying, Ryan, and Ryan this, and Ryan this, and Ryan this, and What would you gather from that? In this case, it's the message to Ryan. Don't miss it. It's not anybody else. Here God is saying, I want you to understand something that is significant, foundational, because at the beginning of Genesis, about God. My name ain't Jose Jimenez. My name is Yahweh Elohim. Now that's kind of weird, because when you think about it in chapter one, when it says God created the heavens and the earth, what name for God did we have? The name for God that we have was Elohim, Elohim. In the root word it talks about someone who is strong, someone who is sovereign, and in this case, he so shows his incredible strength and sovereignty by taking out of nothing and bang, creating the heavens and the earth, okay? So that's who we see, he's this powerful, sovereign God. But then the, the next word is the word Yahweh. And, and, and basically, it's a verb that says, I am that I am. Not that I am and I'm going to be, or I, I am, but I was. It is I am that I am the ever-present God, and this is His personal name. I am a personal, ever-present, always-with-you God. Now, when when you see that, you, you begin to think, and let me just put it this way. You put the two words together, It says, Yahweh Elohim, I am the ever-present, personal, with you, creator, God. And what he's trying to explain to you is everything the deists are for, that he's against. I didn't come in and create this world and crank it all up and then say, okay, you guys figure it out. No, I am ever-present with you, and I am personally interested in you. Okay? Also, I want you to notice the order of those two names. It's really important in Hebrew literature. The first chapter starts off with Elohim. If he was gonna double up on that, he would have chronologically said, my name is Elohim Yahweh, but he doesn't. He starts with that which is catalytically important. I am the personal God who created you and I haven't left and I'm here all day long and I have a purpose for creating you and I ain't going anywhere wow, this personal God that I can't see yet, one day you will, and looking around at what he has created and things that are in his word, and he cares about me? Man, if you were like the only planet in space, he would have come to the cross and died for you, period. And that's something else about this. Notice, when he comes to this, This is Yahweh Elohim, and first Yahweh Elohim is the God of the individual Adam before he ever becomes the God of Israel or all the children of Abraham. He says, I'm not a group God first. I'm a personal individual. I care about you, God. Get it straight. I don't care what your background has been. I don't care what screw-ups you had in the past week. He says, I haven't left you. I care about you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to get to know him because he will turn your life inside out and upside down. He will never abandon you. He will allow you to do stupid things and still say, okay, how did that work for you? Okay, you ready? Okay, I love you. Let's let's go. And And there's enough stupid things we can see in our text today that resembles his faithfulness to us. So here's kind of the point when you put these two things together. God personally created you to be intimately related to Him, to know, love, and serve Him as well as be loved by, cared for, and blessed by Him. Now, I know a lot of Christians, myself included, for many years, even after I was a pastor, that I knew theologically that Jesus Christ died for my sin. I'd had some brushes with the living God where I sensed like he really cared about me. But I would have to say for many, many years as walking with Christ, I kind of, I wondered, Jesus, do you really care? I mean, could you do something really kind of, you know, have the good year blimp go and say, Bob Bonner, I love you, yeah! You know, oh boy, God, you know, he told me that. You told everybody that. Woohoo! The sovereign creator God of the universe says you are it. Do you feel that way? He wants you to know and understand that. And quite frankly, for me, one of the reasons it took so long that is I was so busy about ministry, busy about my spiritual disciplines of memorizing scripture and breaking down passages that I'd get out of my chair and go off and do different things, but I would never stop, shut up, close the Bible, turn off the computer, and just sit there. You ever thought about prayer? (laughs) 99.9% of prayer is us talking to the all-knowable God. We don't listen to the one who knows everything. Everything. We don't give ourselves that time. I dare you to turn off your cell phone and TV set and everything else and just take the time in the commute to pray and to ask him, Lord, can you remove all the voices of the flesh, the voices of the world system, the voices of the enemy? And if there's something you wanna talk to me about, I'm all ears. Is there something stupid that I'm doing that you're going, hey! yank my chain God I don't want to go there and because I I, I didn't allow enough of that in my early years I didn't get that sense I just want to encourage you that one of the reasons we find it difficult to believe that God really loves us is we haven't learned to sit quietly and when you study both New and Old Testament (laughs) I threw the baby out with the bathwater. I came from a spiritual pilgrimage that I didn't believe that God did anything but talk to us through the Word of God. The Word of God is irrefutable. What I think God says is not always right, and there are some whole cues on how to figure that out. But I threw the baby out with the bathwater, and I have come to since understand there are times some people don't want to get really mystical and crazy and go over some charismatic waterfall. But we know there are times and places where there is an impression, you need to go see Bill. Hey, maybe I'll go see Bill. We, we don't dare give the credit that the Spirit of God is convicting us about going and doing something. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't got it all na- nailed down. But I'm no longer afraid to say, yeah, there are times where God shows up, and not just in a verbal voice, but he manifests himself in a way I've never seen it before, and I went, wow, I got it. I see that. I got it. Lord, thanks for showing me that picture so that I better understand your will. He wants you to know that you are loved desperately by him, cared for by him, and blessed by him. Now, after we understand what his name is, let's get into the creative work. In, uh, in verse seven, he talks about several things in this process about creating us. And he uses this word formed and literally in Hebrew, it's the word that we, we get from the word for making a piece of, piece of pottery like this. This, this is a one of a kind made piece of pottery. It's not coming out of some mill or whatever. It was made in 1984 by my little brother. And it's very, very specific. In fact, there's a—that's his thumbprint from when he was 12 years of age. And he's given me three of these. I broke one; they're irreplaceable. It's up here. Please don't touch it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if it broke, I don't think I'd kill you, but it would take a lot of repentance to forgive you. Okay, so, so anyhow, this this is really, really precious. And 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 my dear brother doesn't yet know Jesus. And so when I get to drink this, I realize this this is dev and i pray for dev so he says i want you to know that none of you are made the same i don't even care if you come from the same family line and your dna is that you are uniquely created by god for a reason you are personally and purposefully designed by God God did not make any mistakes when he made you I have a dear friend that I've come to know for 10 years and she is a she is a trophy of God's grace when she was born she's a little older than I am when she was born she was born with no legs and a claw of a hand they weren't sure that they were going to let her stay alive. Her parents went, oh, oops. And she lived with this kind of sense of oops. She was never chosen to run track. Um, she was just kind of over here, watched all her growing up years, everybody doing all these things, and she couldn't do them. She eventually met Jesus Christ, and then he slowly but surely began to show her, you are precious. She's written two or three books. One's becoming an audiobook. She has an understanding and a personal experience uh, of the names of God and what they mean in her life. She and her husband traveled, have traveled all over the world ministering to people in a unique way that you and I probably will never have the opportunity. She not only got married, she ended up having three kids and a ton of grandkids. She's now um, on her own because Jesus decided it was time to take her hubby home. And um, like all of us, we wrestle with all the decisions. And she would be totally embarrassed for me just lifting her up because she, like all of us, if we're honest, we are broken, cracked vessels, carrying around the surpassing greatness of the power of God. And in spite of our cracks, He uses us. So second thing he did beside forming you, is he said in the same verse, that God breathed into man. Literally in Hebrew, that word comes from the word spirit. So if you want to, you could say, God spirited into man, gave us a spirit to be connected to and empowered by his spirit. Or you could read it, God uh, breathed into man and gave us a breath to be connected to and empowered by his breath. Um, you are a unique creation of God, that he comes along and joins you together with him, and your spirit is what enables you to be with his spirit and have a relationship with him. Um, this may was supposed to come later, but I'm going to tell you about it now. The, the key between you and any other animal in the universe is one thing. There are evolutionists out there that said that you're the result of time and chance and some primordial scum that was rolled up onto the beach. That's all you are. You're just like one of the other mammals. And that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. That is suppressing the truth of God. In God's word, he said he created the animals. Do animals have a body? Oh, yeah. Horse have a body? Yeah. Cat got a body. Dog got a body. Fish got a body. Yeah. Do they have a soul? Yes. If you define the soul as most theologians do, that they have a mind, emotion, will, certain skill sets, that's their soul. The thing that they don't have that makes you 100% different than the animals is God never breathed his spirit into them that is unique to the human race. But if I have a choice between feeding my family or saving some endangered species, who takes priority? The spirit breathed into being, okay? So, you know, if I'm out on a hike with my dog and I get lost and I'm hungry, Dog, I love you, but thanks for sacrificing your body for me, and I'm going to eat him, all right? That's just the way it's going to go. Now, if I'm out there hiking with Levi, and we get lost in the snow, I'm going to conk Levi and say, Thank you very much for giving your body and your life for me, and I'm going to eat him, okay? But the dog first, you got it? Yeah. I mean, because I know where Levi's going, right? You know? And he doesn't want to eat me because I'm older and tough. You ever eaten tough chicken? I mean, that's lousy. Forget eating that stuff. Now, seriously. So who you are, the key to who you are is not your body and your good looks. I mean, I've lost if we're talking about that. And it's not about everything that's going on in my brains because I'm losing those. The key to who I am is my spirit. I am a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. Okay, and as long as this body is living, I have a purpose to serve my God. Back to this picture, and you know chapter 3, what happens? Well, we've got the spiritual relationship going on because God is holy and Adam is holy and eventually Eve gets to be holy. And then all of a sudden, they decide to tell the Lord to hang it on his beak, and psh, there's sin. Okay? This curse takes place. Now, why did God have to throw them out? Because God is holy and perfect. What happened to Adam and Eve? They became sinful and imperfect. If you have a glass of clear water, purified water, and you have another glass of dyed water, and you mix them together, what happens? They become impacted by one another. They become infused with one another. And what was holy at one point no longer is holy. So God can't go there because that's not who he is. Bad news, we're separated from God. Good news, our spirit has to be regenerated, John 3, to be born again. It is not something we crank up. It is something that the Spirit of God does to us, and because He makes our spirit alive, we are back together, reconciled is the theological term, and it is impossible for us to come apart from being reconciled to God. So, that's called regeneration, coming back together, that spiritual rebirth. While you're rebirthed and the spirit is in you, you've got a lot of lessons to learn. That's called transformation or another theological term, sanctification. And this process is aimed at your soul. And so your spirit begins to infect your soul. And as you continue to walk with the Lord, your soul begins to change. Your countenance, which He has to do physically, starts to change. And then the great news is, is although I am decaying and rotting on the outside, my great hope, And the glorification is I'm going to have a permanent resurrection body and I'm not going to care that I've lost my hair or there's any wrinkles because God's going to say it's perfect. And, oh, boy, I'm not going to have to deal with a lot of the getting old men's issues. Won't go into that here. There are ladies present. All right. So what we come back to is that he gave us life. And it's not about what we can do or can't do anymore or what we have or what we've accomplished. It's about who we are first and foremost spiritually. And I would dare say, if you went through the scriptures to discover what Jesus Christ says is already true about you, and you believed it, your whole life would change. I would say that I didn't until I was about 40. I'd been preaching for 20 years, didn't understand what I just told you. I didn't realize the truth is truth whether I believe it or not. So if God's word says I'm a set-apart saint and I am holy, even though there's flesh in me, if I really believed I was holy, I would live like it. Don't have time to go into that. It's a whole four or five hour, another diatribe, monologue, whatever. You were personally made by God, for God. Whether you're talking about your good looks, your skills, your talents, your spiritual gifts, all those things were given to you and uniquely crafted into you for God, as by God, to serve God, and He can do with those gifts and those different things all He wants. All He wants. And He's going to use them for His glory and for yours. Let's get over to verses eight through 14. I I gotta keep rolling here. Um, We're moving now in the text to the place that God was preparing for a man before he ever created it. That's what it says. And Yahweh Yahweh Elohim planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and he placed the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground Yahweh Elohim caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight, good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, it flows around the world, the whole land of Havilah and where there is gold and the gold of that land is good and the Bdellium, the onyx stone are there and the name of the second river is Gihon, it flows around the whole land of Cush and the name of the third river is Tigris and it flows east out of Assyria And the fourth river is the Euphrates. You know, since the flood, the topography of the planet radically changed. And so to be really pinpoint specific, you know, maybe the Tigris and the Euphrates was going north. And now it's we we don't know. We don't know. But what we do have a pretty good guess in a sense for when we start about uh, we start talking about where did all of this start? It's somewhere over there in the Middle East. Okay, I, I can't. Pinpoint it, but we know it's over there. But what I do want you to know, notice, is that just before he creates man, he makes this garden, and what does he call it? Eden. You know what that word means? Delight. He has prepared delight for Adam and eventually Eve. It is meant to be good, to be a blessing. Yes, we understand that this plant, this planet, its sin comes along, starts to decay and becomes a sewer. We get that, okay? And my role in life is not to kind of protect it and try to prevent it from ever becoming a sewer. It's going to be. But on the other hand, as we will see, I have a responsibility to take care of this planet and I should be a conservationist. But I gotta be careful before I become an unbelieving conservationist and a believing conservationist. What's the dividing line? When I start worshiping creation more than I worship the Creator, okay? I gotta keep His priority straight here. I am not gonna spend my whole life trying to save something that is gonna be gone. There's only three things that are eternal. The souls of men and women, God's word, and eternal rewards. Nothing else will be in heaven with you. You wrap your eyes and mind around that and forget all the trophies and titles and look at what I got. You wrap your head around that and the investment of your life will be exciting and meaningful whether you lose all your money, get it back, have a serious disease, and you will be transforming forever, part of the face of eternity. And God is saying, would you please come join my work? I mean, that's why I'm revved up. How can you die and give up? You know, people say, you're retired. No, I'm not, I'm just in chapter two. God hasn't changed. Who I am hasn't changed. My ability to remember and run is hard and all that other stuff. Okay, I'm learning some new limitations. Don't like them. Don't like them. It's really, really frustrating to be 18 on the inside and go by the mirror and look at yourself and said, my dad died resurrected and I'm in his body. I mean, what happened? Okay, so... Anyhow, basically, I want you to understand one of his creative works that says it's delight, it's good, and is meant to be a blessing for his children. Verses 15 through 17, he talks about, why did I put you guys here? What's this placement deal? Look at verse 15. And then Yahweh Elohim took the man and put him into the garden in Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. That word put comes from the same root word that was the key word that Sam did absolutely a fantastic job preaching on last week. Everybody know what that word was that was the key word of verses one through three? Anybody know? We got a bunch of seniors here that can't remember one week from the other what took place. What was the word, the key word, the whole message? Rest, all right. I'm not gonna ask you any more test questions because I don't wanna really cause Sam to be despairing because she's, you know. (laughs) Okay, rest, rest. The word rest doesn't mean that uh, somebody is in a state of sleep or state of inactivity. It means to cease doing, if you will, a project. So when God finished on the seventh day, he ceased this portion of the creation project. But he is always active always active and moving and shaking. But the difference is he's doing this now in his creation in a place of rest, because put and rest come from the same root word in the original language. And he wants us to understand that everything that was meant to be in that garden was to not be in conflict and turmoil and distress, but was to be at peace and rest and the people in it are gonna be active, they're not gonna be sleeping, there's gonna be fulfillment and joy. Isn't that amazing? P-U-T. And we can't say all that in one word in English. But when you understand this other foreign language, it's pregnant. It's not just, he put you there. There's, There's intentionality and purpose that is involved there. So, when we look at this whole thing, why was I created? I was created to serve God and His intentionality purposes put that's why i was here i'm saved here to serve him and and all of us have different jobs but uh, and god wants to be involved in. i got four or five messages on work what role does work take in place in our life god wants us to understand that our work i don't care if it's washing dishes digging ditches painting paintings playing soccer, writing papers uh, for school, or or you're trying to study. We all have work. And God is saying, I created you to worship me in your work. Bring me into your work. Live as a set-apart messenger for God's grace in my world, your work. What happens when you don't do that? You end up with a job so it's hard to describe job so just kind of follow this um, i'm a teenager it's 5:30. i got to go to school I go to a military school i got to make sure the brass is shined i got to make sure my shoes are polished i got to put on the stinking uniform that looks like you're from another world i got to go out in public before i do i eat my breakfast get in the car go to school go through everything that normal kids go through school, come home, take off those stinking clothes, take a shower, eat my dinner, tortured to death trying to do homework, which I hated, and go to bed and start all over again. Then I become a young adult, get out of, you know, the torture chamber called school, and I go to work. Wake up in the morning. All I've done is changed places. That's a job. That's called existence. That is not life. Life is different than a job. And how do you go from existence to life? You recognize that you're God's ambassador in whatever you're doing. If your job is to take care of somebody's yard and you're told to weed a garden, yeah, we know the weeds are going to come back. You weed that garden to the best of your ability, to the glory of God, so that when the yahoo who hired you comes over and goes, wow, look at that. I want that dude back here. He knows, he takes pride in his work. What? I can't find people like that. That's huge. I think about, it's really hard. It saddens me, quite honest with you, when I deal with with businessmen especially non-christian businessmen and uh yeah i'm having coffee how's everything going oh it's going really fine and i I said hey it looks like things are growing and moving and grooving he said yeah he says but he says confidential i've got i got a real pain in the rear end here I said, what's that so i got this employee you know it's just it's just decided that I don't know. They found Jesus, and they've got other things to do. And they get here late, and they expect because they're kind of religious or whatever that they can get all these little extras and, and, and whatever. I, I just I just can't. So I'm, I said, "What are you going to do? I'm going to fire him." Oh man, that's a shame of the gospel. I had one guy I used to work out with, and and he he didn't know what he wanted. He said, and I, I told him actually it was Dane Borsma, Travis Borsma's brother. And I said, Trav, I said, let me, let me spend some time with him. He said, OK. So I took this Yahoo surf couching kid that brothers bring together, and they work there, and I just talked to him. I almost gave you his name. Um, and I, just, I, I, just said, I, I just spent a lot of time with him, and I said, hey, do you really follow Jesus Christ? Do you believe in all this? Yeah. I said, well, what are you doing? What do you mean, what are you doing? And I began to explain to him, this is how you do work. And to not to do that, you're gonna tell all the other, beast, uh, what do you call them, barristers out there? know, What do you call them? Baristas, thank you, that's senioritis, anyway. tell all you, They're showing them that, hey, Jesus doesn't give a rip about work. I said, get your acting gear. This is a minute. Good side of this story is he cleaned up his act, he now lives elsewhere, has three or four, this is a couch surfer, franchises on his own. Praise God for working in his life. Thank you very much, Dutch Bros, for giving a kid an opportunity who didn't have anything, okay? Now, let's face it. um, I don't want any hands, but there's not one of us here who in our work, one way or another, has brought in shame to Jesus Christ. I don't want to even hear any amens, okay? Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his new beginnings. I don't care what you did before. What are you going to do tomorrow? Are you going to take Jesus with you into work? And if there's a person there that is just like a prickly pear or there's an assignment that, you know, you'd rather eat sludge, just, Lord, would you so live in me? Do what I don't want to do. I want to honor you here so that with all of my foibles, people understand Jesus Christ is real. Tough times happen. Injustices take place. Fast forward to the end of Genesis, you got Joseph. He's in prison for two years, and it it isn't the Pelican Bay Hilton Hotel with three meals, a cot, internet service, and all kinds of porn on TV. It is dirt, disease, and death. And he didn't do anything but live righteously. But he never lost sight that although it was an extremely difficult situation, that if you want to go way back to when he was a kid, okay, he was a little bit arrogant, but it seems like out of bounds. And he never lost sight of the fact that somehow God was involved. And that's proven later when his brothers come back and they're scared to death he's going to kill him, And he said to them, you meant it for evil, but God, minute for good so even in the pit of that dungeon where things were not going his way he said lord you created me for a purpose and i want to fulfill that person purpose and he renew who he was so what he did what he had what he'd accomplished and his changing circumstances didn't change the foundation upon which his emotional, soulish, physical, spiritual life was grounded. Okay. Two verbs he uses in there is to cultivate and to keep. The first word describes um, just serving something or working something. The keep means to care for, to look after, and maintain, to protect, to preserve. That's what we're here for. We're we're to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 and 17, Kalabunga, the time. Um, We're created to obey, we're created to obey. And then Yahweh Elohim commanded that man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat your ever living hearts out. No tidbits, you engorge yourself on this tree. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from that, you will surely die. You know, if you really love somebody, whole first book of John, first John says you obey him. Then finally he shows us that we were created to live, to really live, not just exist. Let me back up for a minute wanna go back to something that's in verse 9 and, and 17. So just so you don't get distracted, do that. Um, this first promise that he states here, he says, I want you to eat freely, is meant to be a blessing. It is meant to describe that life is not to be boring and non-purposeful existence. It is a blessing for us to enjoy. I want you to eat everything, but when, then when he comes over and says, "But I don't want you, you know, messing with the tree of knowledge and good and evil," I've heard individuals come back and say, "That's a setup. Yeah, God's over here soon. They said, "Ah, ah, it was a trap. Didn't stand a chance. Baloney. Couldn't be any further from the truth." Why do you say that, Bob? Again, it's the difference between black and white and color of foreign languages. When you read that in the original language, it doesn't refer to it as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it refers to literally a tree of knowing by experience, good and evil. Define that for a basic, but you you all get it. Stoves are hot, electric countertop, thing is glowing orange, you got a kid, you love the kid, you say to the kid, and the kid, that's hot. Now, let me just teach you what I mean by hot. Don't touch it. You see this piece of bacon? Yeah. So give me your forearm. See that? The only difference between your forearm and that piece of bacon is you got some skin covering it. You got it? Got it. Now, watch what happens when I put that on there. Bam. Smoke and all that kind of stuff. Start going it up. It's say, I no, don't touch it. And you put it on a plate. And after it cools off, say, now, Pick it up. (laughs) Or it's greasy if you like it, not well done. Boy, I'm drooling over bacon. Anyway, so so the kid, uh, he says, Now, kid, that's your arm. You want your arm to look like that? Don't put it on the stove. So he learns, not by experience, but from the tree of life. And God so much isn't trying to set up a test, a, 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 yeah, a test case or a trap. He says, I want you to understand how serious I am about this. He says, If you do this, you shall surely die. That doesn't even get it. You see, uh, get, they don't have superlatives in, in Hebrew. What's a superlative? Ah, oh, this is a good cup. This is a better cup. This, best cup going. I hope I don't break this. Anyway, they don't have that. What they say is, this is a good cup. This is a good, good cup. This is a good, good, good cup. So when you read in the scriptures and it says, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. What is that saying? There is no other gods before you. You are it. Everybody else is fake. You stand at the head of the line. In this situation, in in the original language, it says, Dying, you shall surely die. Good, good. Why does he say that? I mean what I am saying. Don't touch the stove. I will teach you all you need to know from the tree of life, not the tree of death. He wants you and I to experience life eternal with him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving, no pun intended, my bacon. Verses 16 and 17, back over here. You were created to live, not just to exist with God. Not just to coexist with knowledge, but to understand what it means to intimately know the living God in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of political pandemonium, in the midst of huge financial reversals, in the midst of loss, in the midst of physical issues, even in the midst of me being stupid and hurting myself by dumb, he's new day. Let's start this over. You didn't learn there. Let's try again. Don't you just love it? Teachers all understand. Who is the mother of learning? Repetition. It's also the father of boredom. But he will continue to teach until we get it. Till we get it. So let's wrap this up with a conclusion. Oh, man. Okay. With Jesus... Hope you've seen Jesus in this. With Jesus being reconciled, my life, your life now has purpose. And with purpose, life has meaning. Jesus said, "I have come that you might have life so that you can be bored to death." No, that it will be abundant, fulfilling, even if you are in a third-world country living on a dirt floor and and on on with nothing. Let me tell you, I've seen some folks over there that can put they, they put an exclamation point on life in comparison to us spoiled Americans. He said, I want you to understand how it has meaning and that meaning with life means what I'm doing counts. It has significance. And it doesn't matter how dark this world is, I have hope and I have a future. So you got pandemonium, you've got um, pandemic, can lead to either panic or peace. You may not like what's... But, Okay, I can handle it. Got to remember who you are and whose you are. Okay? Again, every one of you is uniquely different. Come here, Sam. We're going to try to do this again. <sighs> Just to, pull, to point out a, bring a point out. Now, um, long before Sam was ever born, when the earth was void and whatever, God created Adam, and then shortly then after, me. And then millennium pass, Star Wars takes place, and God creates him. Somewhere in there, God decided, I'm going to give this guy a spiritual gift of teaching. He probably didn't even know he had it when he got it, but God gave it to him. And back before the flood, he gave the same thing to me, but watch this, turn around, turn around that way, who's taller, see, okay, now there's two things I want you to notice, my discs have shrunk, so I've lost two inches, secondly, he has hair, I have very little, thirdly, he's a stud, I'm an old dude, all right, what am I, what's my point? 1 Corinthians 12 says, there are various ministries, various effects, same gift. I don't want him to be me. I kind of wish I could be you. <laughs> okay, anyhow, go sit down. Every one of you here, some of you are moms. You are not your mom's mom, and you're not your mom. You are you as a mom. Uniquely gifted and only only you are responsible to care for the one that God's put into your life. You are so special. And when that whooper snapper curtain crawling brat is driving you crazy, just remember who the adult is and you have an assignment from God that is precious. And you're special. Even when you have to do things that, I know break your heart. Who loves disciplining kids? Do you think God loves, really enjoys disciplining me and you? The thing that enables him to do it, he sees the end of what he desires and what we really desire for our lives. So you're all different. And what I want to leave with you by way of question is simply this. Do you understand your purpose? And I don't mean theologically, okay, I'm died, I'm left here to serve God. I mean... What makes you uniquely different for who you are? And you're going to be figuring this out as years go on. And it's one of the best places to do that is within your family or a small group or with people, you know, and sit down and and just make the other person work, okay? You know, you know, what makes you uniquely who you are? Because anybody could fill your job at the school. What makes you uniquely different? Why are you special? How is it? And here's a big question. God, how can you use my uniqueness? Well, you can change all the chapters. in. How can you use it to bring honor and glory to you and help me not to think about what I do? I, I have a great bunch of times meeting with... High school students still. There's a few of my class that are still live. And we get together. And when we do get together with these reunions, there's a question that I ask them. I ask them, tell me who you are. Every cotton pick one of them come back and tell me what they're doing. At least they did until they retired. And now I start asking, well, who are you? I don't know. I don't know. Don't get to that stage, okay? Work on it. All right. Let me pray, and the mic's going to come up. Ooh, over, over time. For the, just pray, all right. <laughs> for you who know me, I'm always on time, right? Father, I just thank you so much for your spirit and your willingness not just to create us uniquely and special, but to rescue us again and again. I'm so thankful for what Romans teaches us that even while we were yet enemies, you died for us and you knew fully what would take place 5, 10, 15, 20 years after we got saved and how we would still do stupid things and you died for us anyway. I thank you we can be confident that you will finish the good work you've begun in our lives. Lord, I ask, that your Holy Spirit would begin to teach me and my friends more and more. What is it about us that you've made us so uniquely skilled for, that we can do to have an impact on people around us, such that they will sense that sweet aroma of Jesus Christ and be drawn to you. Lord, um, may our days ahead in this next year be filled with life, peace. May we be a refuge for people who are in the middle of panic and don't know you. Take them by the hand and say, come here, i got somebody I want you to meet. Help them come to see you and know you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.